Welcome to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Now he's going to stumble up and he's going to be sacked. Darius Leonard's going to bring him down. Keep it way downfield for Zach Pascal. Touchdown! We're talking Colts and recapping the action. Way downfield for Jack Doyle. He's got it! Touchdown! Comes back 10, 5, touchdown! Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, touchdown! I-N-D-Y! Now here's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. Live from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. Welcome into Colts Roundtable Live, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. In for Matt Taylor tonight, my name is Casey Vallier, and we are with you from 5.30 to 6.30 tonight before the Pacers host the San Antonio Spurs right here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, the Colts fell yesterday to the Tennessee Titans in overtime, 34-31. The Titans, they now improve to 6-2. and two. They are winners of four straight. The Colts, they fall to 3-5. and five. That amounts to a four-game lead with nine games to play for the Titans over the Colts in the AFC South as the Tennessee, they also hold the tiebreaker based on sweeping the Colts here in 2021. The Colts got out to a fast start yesterday. They led 14-0 early in the first quarter, but the Titans methodically got back in the game. The turning point in the game was when the Colts got a terrible break before the Titans tied the game. Defensive end Tyquan Lewis was able to drop back in coverage, and he intercepted a Ryan Tannehill pass at the Tennessee 45-yard line. The Colts appear to be poised to add to their lead, but Lewis stumbled and lost the football on the way to the ground. Tennessee recovered on his own 43-yard line, and Lewis left the game with a knee injury. And on the next play, Ryan Tannehill hit A.J. Brown for a 57-yard touchdown that tied the football game. Carson Wentz threw for 231 yards and a season-high three touchdowns in the loss. He did, however, toss two costly interceptions in the fourth quarter and one in overtime. Before those turnovers, he passed Jeff George for the most consecutive passes without an interception in franchise history at 212. The Colts' defense played physical all game long, and they did a great job of limiting Derrick Henry. The NFL's two-time rushing champ just had 68 yards on the ground on 28 attempts, which is 2.4 yards per carry with a long of nine yards. However, the Titans went eight for 17 on third downs and converted a pair of fourth downs, and A.J. Brown had a season-high 155 yards receiving and pulled down several key catches throughout the game. He caught 10 of 11 targets. Other positives from the game included the Colts' defense. They came away with two more takeaways. Dating back to last season, Indianapolis has now forced a turnover in nine consecutive games, which is tied for the second longest active streak in the NFL. And Jonathan Taylor registered his fifth consecutive game with at least 100 yards from scrimmage and is the first Colt to accomplish that feat since Edron James did so in 2005. We want to hear from you tonight on the show, Colts Roundtable Live. Tweet your questions and comments on Twitter by using hashtag Colts Roundtable. And it is time to welcome in the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich, who is nice enough to join us every week, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Coach, as always, thank you so much for the time. Well, glad to, glad to help out. Tough loss, you know, obviously yesterday against the Titans. Uh, so, you know, th- those losses are always tough, but especially in a game that magnitude, but we're going to need to just bounce back quickly and, and put that behind us, learn from it, and move on. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what I want to talk about. I mean, yesterday kind of felt like a playoff game atmosphere. And after watching the tape, you know, what were some of the differences you took from the game? Well, you know, I mean, I thought we played – we did a lot of great stuff. I thought our defense played extremely physical. I think we – you know, we took Derrick Henry out of the game. He was a non-factor. I think we limited the chunk plays. 
you know, by the Titans offense and, uh, you know, except for one or two plays. And so, and got a couple turnovers. Really, the only thing defensively was when we got that one turnover and then we fumbled it back to them and then they scored the next yeah. play. That was really the only tough sequence. Offensively, you know, we did some good things. You know, we had a couple uh, interceptions, you know, late. And one of those I, was on me with a, a bad call, backed up call on the screen, not a good call by me. And so we, I got to get better. We got to get better on offense, but did some good things there. And special teams played solid as well. But a playoff-type atmosphere against a good football team, um, tough loss, but we got to learn from it and get better. Now, what was your message to the team after a tough loss like that? I mean, I, you know, given the circumstances, right, I mean, it was just, hey, it was a quick turnaround. We play Thursday night. Right. So no no time for, you know, uh, dwelling too long on this. So let's just watch the tape, learn from it, and, and move on. There's still a lot of football left, a lot of football left. We cannot waver in our belief. We know what we do. We know who we are we got to just continue to get better and believe that we can still get everything that we want. We're joined by head coach Frank Reich on Colts Roundtable Live. You dealt with a few more injuries on Sunday. Kari Willis left with a calf. Tyquan Lewis left the game on the cart, and T.Y. Hilton left with a concussion. You got any update on those guys? Yeah, no update just yet. You know, I'll get with the medical staff, you know, later today just to kind of get more details on that stuff. But, um, you know, T.Y. does have a concussion. He'll be in, you know, he'll be in protocol. And so, I mean, he's – likely will not be back for Thursday night, you know, in protocol given the short time. So, um, and then obviously, you know, Taekwon, um, you know, Taekwon will be going to IR with his injury. So um, th- those are the updates I got for you right now. I want to go back to the end of regulation with the coach. Team's down seven with just over a minute left. How proud were you of the resiliency in that situation to drive down the field, make some plays, and convert when you had to and score with 22 seconds left in regulation? That was huge. I mean, you know, it was huge. Um, the drive, you know, going all the way down the field like that and, and getting it in and, you know, taking it to overtime, you know, just obviously disappointed we weren't able to finish it off. I thought when we, you know, I just thought when we came back and scored the, the tying touchdown and we thought about going for two, but, you know, usually at home we kind of take the home field advantage and take it into overtime and, um, you know, just disappointed we weren't able to finish it in overtime. Now, I know there's a developing story about an injury to Derrick Henry, but still looking at the game, he had 28 carries, and the defense limited him to just 68 yards at 2.4 yards per carry. I know we talked about it at the top, but how impressed were you by the tackling and physicality this defense showed against one of the more punishing backs in the league? I mean, it was was an impressive performance by the defense, and, uh, you know, they deserve a lot. I mean, they just played so stinking hard and uh, so many good things, so really, really took him out of the game. All right, Coach, it's time to hear from the fans. If you have a question for Coach, you can always tweet it tonight and every Monday night by using hashtag Colts Roundtable. The first question comes from Mitch, and Mitch would like to know if you had any, I know you just mentioned it there, if you had any ideas of going for two after that score and final regulation and why didn't you go for two? Yeah, we, we, you know, we talked about it really along the whole drive and, uh, you know, and just felt like, you know, felt like uh, you could really go either way with the decision and, you know, just felt like having home field advantage. Usually my default mode is if you're at home um, in the circumstances where our defense is playing pretty good, our defense is playing very good, uh, just seemed like the right move. Now next up, it's from Jackson. He wants to know, what's your assessment of Carson Wentz was in overtime and do you feel like he was trying to do too much when just a field goal would have won the game? Um, you know, I mean, going back on it, I mean, obviously on the, the, the interception, you know, at the end of the game, um, yeah, he'd like to have that one back. I mean, you can, 
you know, really you're calling a play action pass on first down, see if the chunk is there down the field. If it's not, you know, but Pittman's been making plays for him. Yeah. So I understand he sees him flash open. Um, so in hindsight, yeah, you can check the ball down. Uh, you, you got a little bit greedy there. He said that himself afterwards, but that's you live and learn from that. Now, Dennis wants to know, how do you keep this team from looking at the standings now? I mean, you've, you've talked about it earlier. You've got nine games left, a lot of the football season left to go. How do you keep them, you know, focused in on, on what's in front of them? Uh, you know, I, these guys, I'll tell you what, it's the way we go about our process week to week. We know this is a week-to-week season where it's a 1-0 and mentality. Um, so th- that's just the way the guys are wired. They're pros. They, they know in this league you can't scoreboard watch. You can't you know, watch how the standings go. You just got to lock yourself in and play week to week, and see, and then there's still so much football left. We're joined by Frank Reich here on Colts Roundtable Live. Next question from Lenny. He wants to know about Dio Odangbo in his first game and, and what do you feel about his first game in the NFL and what his, his role as we move forward? Well, he played about 15 plays, you know, and I, I thought it was good experience from him. He'll learn, you know, really didn't have any impact plays, but at the same time, you know, played solid, you know, didn't make any major mistakes, and I think it was a good first step for him. Our last question from the fans tonight, where you can always tweet questions in by using hashtag Colts Roundtable, comes from Grant, and he wants to know how you feel the margin of error is. It seems like, you know, a lot of things went well, but it still have a hard time putting opponents away. I mean, that's the NFL, and, um, you know, that's the NFL, but that's where, you know, that's where you just have to fight and scratch and claw. You know, in most weeks, most weeks around the league, that's what it's coming down to. Margin of error is very thin, and so you just got to make the most of those opportunities. All right, Coach, final couple things with you. You talked about the short week. You got Thursday night football with the Jets. The Jets played well on Sunday, defeating the Bengals 34-31 with a backup quarterback, Mike White. Started his first game through 400 yards, three touchdowns in the victory. The Jets are 2-5, and five, but two very quality wins with the Titans and then yesterday with the Bengals. What stands out to you about the Jets? Yeah, I mean, an impressive performance, you know, by the quarterback in his first start, you know, throwing for 400 yards, obviously. Um, So, uh, like you said, two impressive wins against two of the better teams in the AFC. Uh, This is a very good defense. They have a very, you know, very good defense who's been playing good the whole year. You know, offensively, they've been a little bit up and down, but obviously found some good mojo last week. So, you know, we're going to have to be at our best. Now, we mentioned it's a Thursday night game, so how does that go into effect, you know, your prep and practice plan for this week? Yeah, it's just, you know, we're like most teams when we get to when we get to the Thursday night game. You know, we have two walkthroughs, you know, each day, and, uh, you know, really just to get the guys ready mentally. And so uh, plenty of time to do that. Guys lock in. The short turnaround is harder on them physically than anything. Um, it's really hard on them physically, hard on their bodies. So they got to get rested up. We got to go to get in walkthrough mode, and then mentally they just need to get locked in, you know, to what we do in this plan through through the walkthroughs that we do. Well, there you go, Frank Reich, presented by Citizens Energy Group, joining us here on Colts Roundtable Live, like he does every week. Coach, thanks again so much for the time, and good luck on Thursday. Thank you. That's our weekly talk with Frank Reich, brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Save at home on monthly bills when you conserve water and energy. For money-saving tips, visit citizensenergygroup.com. It is time for our first time out of the show. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. This is Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Caesars Sportsbook, the sportsbook for the people. Download and get started with a risk-free bet of up to $5,000. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 years or older. We now return to Colts Roundtable Live. 
Once again, here's Matt Taylor from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. Welcome back to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. And for Matt Taylor, I am Casey Vallier. We were joined by Frank Reich in the opening segment of the show, and you could hear how tough that loss was for him. I mean, the team played really well in all three areas of the ballgame. They could not overcome some tough breaks, just a little too much to overcome against the Titans there on Sunday. News doesn't stop when you go to sleep. Get caught up with Angela, Nick, Krista, and Rachel weekdays on CBS4 this morning. It is time to bring in former coach and radio color analyst Rick Venturi and also former offensive lineman Joe Wrights. Guys, that was a tough one yesterday for sure. It was a, it was a tough one to say the least. It was, a, you know, it was just exhausting um, you know, Matt and I were just up and down the whole game. I mean, just you could just tense it. You could feel it. The energy was great. Um, it was just, a, you know, it's kind of a throwback physical game. I mean, the, the Tennessee and the Colts are two different kinds of teams. They're not like the modern-day teams. I mean, they slug it out. Both teams, I thought, you know, really, really had elite effort. Um, you know, it was a shame somebody had to lose. But in the end... You know, it's really – it's just about making plays and finishing the games. And right now the difference, you know, in Tennessee and the Colts is that Tennessee, at least this season and last season, I think, but particularly this year, they just seem to find a way in crunch town, yeah. in crunch time, really to make the key play. They make the key play, you know, whether it's Tannehill, whether it's Brown, you know, whether it's Bayard – you know, they find a way to make the play in crunch time. And unfortunately, the narrative for the Colts is just the opposite. They just just can't find it, you know, just can't seem to finish. You know, there's two statistics that strike me is that offensively, the Colts are number 18 in scoring in the fourth quarter with a seven-point seven average and they're 27th on defense with a 9.2 points given up. So, you know, that's kind of indicative of not being able to finish, and the better finisher won the game yesterday. Agree with that, Coach. And, you know, just such a a gut punch of a loss. Then you hear the news today and and what's actually true, And but it's been reported by a lot of people that Derrick Henry might be out for the season. You just think, you know, the division was right there. It was there for the taking. We come out of the gates. It's 14 to nothing. I mean, it looks like we're going to blow the doors off Tennessee, but, you know, they're a really good football team. And if the, if the playoffs started today, they'd be the number one seed in the AFC. And so, on one hand, you want to say that, hey, we're right there and we're that close. On the other hand, you can kind of say we're still a million miles away. Does that make sense? And it just seems like, to Coach's point, we haven't been able to finish games against the really good teams. And that's a learned trait. That's a learned behavior. You know, bottom line, it's one thing to make a play in the first quarter, second quarter. It's another thing to do it fourth quarter, games on the line, overtime. And we did not make those plays yesterday. I thought, honestly, everybody's talking about Carson's interception TD and they're talking about the pick in overtime which 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 was a bad throw and a bad decision but I thought we lost the game on that long drive in the fourth quarter we took the ball over with 11 minutes left we drive all the way down you know we got first and 10 there um, 
on really their 36-yard line. Taylor goes for four, and then you remember we got the holding penalty. Holding on Ryan Kelly backs us up out of field goal range. Then it's third and 16, and we have that pass to Doolin, but it's a little bit high from Wentz, and we had to punt. You know, if we had scored there a field goal, now you still got all three timeouts. There's five minutes left in the game. And if you stop Tennessee game over, even if they score, you got time to win in regulation. I really think that drive is the hidden thing nobody's talking about today and really where the Colts lost the game. I feel like it basically kind of to dovetail off what, uh, what Joe just said, and I'm always interested in what do you fix. You know, what happened yesterday happened figure out what had happened and how do you fix it for Thursday night and going forward. And I thought the four things that beat us were number one with a 14-point lead, that sequence, that third and four, and that fourth and four. I'm not second-guessing Frank on going for it. You know, that's, that's, that's a choice he made. But the, the selection of plays and the execution was really bad on both of them, on both the third and four and the fourth and four. I thought Wentz's decision-making, the picks, was bad, really bad. And I'm not going to sugarcoat that. That's absolutely ridiculous. I thought, number three, there was absolutely no plan for Brown, which is now the sixth time a receiver has had his best game in eight weeks, and that's inexcusable. And I can, I can point out, we'll get into this later in the show, situations where Henry's not even in the game and we have no coverage and then, again, as I said before, the inability to finish. So it isn't just one or two things. There are some things there that have been there for a long time that need to be fixed, and it's the reason you're three and five. Well, Rick, I want to start with that. You know, when you go back and watch the tape, do you feel better or worse about the loss considering the things the Colts did well? Well, it's the loss itself I probably actually feel better about, but what I don't feel good about is what I see are – are constantly areas that are not fixed. Now, what I feel better about is Wentz hasn't played this way. This is he has played at a really high level. He's been in that you know 107 to 120 uh, passer rating week after week after week, and this is the anomaly. Let's hope it's the anomaly. You know, uh, to, to quote a biblical term, to tweak it a little bit, Wentz, Wentz getteth, and Wentz giveth. And, again, the giveth got in trouble there, trying to make a play, forcing the ball when it wasn't there. Um, I think our effort was outstanding. I thought our pass protection overall, our pocket protection, was pretty good. I think that's getting better and better. But here's mistakes that we make in big game. Again, we can't – you know, and I don't think necessarily it cost us the game in Tennessee because we scored 31 points, okay, but we can't, we can't run the ball to Taylor 16 times and throw it 51. I mean, that's silly. And we cannot continue to have a defensive passer rating of 27 and a pass, for, and a pass completion record, uh, um, average against us number 30 in the league. Those two things have to be fixed and can be fixed if we want to go forward. All right, Joe, what are your biggest takeaways from watching the tape? I think, one, if you had told me coming into the game that Henry had 28 carries for 68 yards, I'd say, how much did we win by? And let's move on to the Jets, right? And so shout out to the Colts run defense, especially Okereke. Boy, he played as physical and as downhill as I've seen him in a Colts uniform. Really thought he played well. But bottom line, you know, A.J. Brown had 11 targets, 10 catches, 155. He killed us, like Coach said. You know, the other team's 
best receivers continue to beat us. And, you know, I would have liked to have seen us. I mean, at the end of the day, double team A.J. Brown and make somebody else beat you. You know, it's like you're playing the Bulls. And, you know, Steve Kerr hits the, the shot to beat you. Steve Kerr does it, but Jordan's not going to do it. You know what I'm saying? In terms of taking away their number one receiving target. But, you know, Coach mentioned Taylor can't just run it 16 times for 70 yards. Again, he was the best running back on the day, and he would have been over 100 yards if we didn't have some penalties called back. That penalty against Chris Reed was just awful, by the way. And it's not a, a crux on the official. The officials were bad both ways. They made questionable calls all game that were bad against both teams. But again, Taylor was on his way to another 100-yard game. My point being, in my opinion, the three critical areas of the game. When we have 14 nothing, third and three on the 40, coach mentioned it, two deep passes, Taylor didn't touch the ball. When the Colts have that critical drive in the fourth quarter that I felt where it really turned the game, on that second and one where we got the hold, Marlon Mack was in. It was his only carry of the game. Didn't go down in the stat book, but he was in instead of Taylor. Taylor just had a six-yard run, a five-yard run, a four-yard run. I'd love to see him continue to stay and get hot because I don't think he gets tired. And then in overtime, he had one carry for four yards. And so bottom line to me, three critical areas of the game that all went against the Colts. Jonathan Taylor, in my opinion, has got to touch the ball more in those crucial situations because I think he's our biggest game breaker we have on the offensive side of the ball. We'd love to hear from you. We'll get to your questions in the next segment when we visit the mailbag. You can tweet your questions for Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights by using hashtag Colts Roundtable. The Colts Audio Network includes podcasts, radio shows, press conferences, and player interviews, and it's available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you download podcasts. You can listen to exclusive radio and audio content on demand and stay up to date on the Colts on your schedule. Real quick before a break, we're going to go to a little after further review. We're going to go under the hood on some critical parts of the game on Sunday, and we've kind of alluded to it here I want to stick with, with Carson Wentz. He entered the game with just one interception through the first seven weeks of the season. He passed Jeff George's franchise record of 202, which was the, at the record at the time for most consecutive passes, without an interception at 212. But he threw two picks in his last nine attempts. So when you look at further review, Wentz in crunch time and his interceptions. Joe, let's start with you. I'm, I'm going to go with the second interception overtime was the bad one to me. He threw into double what really ended up being triple coverage when it was picked off um, by Bayard, the Titans' safety. But on that play, going back and watch the film, you know there were three guys really open, and Jonathan Taylor was wide open right after the middle of the ball. Taylor catches that ball. There's a lot of green grass in front of him. You're probably looking at a first down on the 40-45. But I felt like you know he forced the ball to, t- to Pittman, and Pittman's made some great catches. He made that huge catch in between three guys when the Colts had that touchdown at the end of the game. But I think one of those plays where tennis knew he was going to throw the ball to Pittman. They played him. And with the Colts only having four receivers active, T.Y. going down, only three guys up there, Pascal, Doolin, and Pittman, they knew the ball was going there and they played like it. I actually thought the play in regulation wasn't that bad because, in my opinion, if you take a safety there, which was he was on his way to take him when they were running that screen pass to Mo Alley that didn't develop, that would have ended the game. There was a minute 20 on the clock. The Colts only had two timeouts. You kick it back to Tennessee. If you get the ball back, you're going to have like 20 seconds left on probably your own 5-10 yard line. So I don't think that one was as bad because if you take a safety there, essentially the game's over. And just like you see some teams score or let the other team score with a minute or two left to try to score – Um, I didn't think that one was bad, but I think what Coach mentioned earlier and I like is it's more of an aberration. Were those some really bad pick in overtime? Absolutely. Was Wentz um, not on his game and misfired a lot of passes for sure, but you go back the previous four or five games, he's really been on it. So hopefully this is a one-game outlier. It's not the trend moving forward. 
Yeah, you know, I, again, I, I thought that it, in this case, in this this time frame, and hopefully Frank can prevent this from happening again. It was it was the loss of awareness by him. In other words, you know, he'll he will play sandlot ball, and sometimes it's to your advantage. But when you're in your own end zone and you got a screen call, he had time to throw that ball down at the feet of the tight end. I mean, he had time. That is no place to be scrambling and throwing with your left hand. I understand the safety implication, but he could have thrown the ball down at the at the feet. Basically, Landry covered him. And that's that is lack of awareness to start running around and doing something silly, which he did. He got by with one a week ago, but he did the same thing there. And then lack of awareness with five minutes plus five minutes plus, and you're running a play action on first down. You got an hour to score, and you're what what that read is on that particular play. You're looking at Pittman on the over to check down. We call it touchdown check down. And basically, Pittman was covered. The linebacker dropped underneath it. Both linebackers came off the play action. Long went back underneath it, had it stuffed. The check down is there for at least 15 yards. And if you get it to Taylor, who knows what happens when he gets going. It could very easily be beyond the 50 when all you need is a field goal. So, you know, you can't – it's just that it's just really lack of awareness of situations right there. And, and again, it's it's a shame because we have not seen that. We haven't seen that side of, of Carson until yesterday. Do you think that's a little bit, Coach, with Ty being out, and now you're really down to kind of, you know, just him, Pascal and Doolin, who you know, you know, just really discounting him, but that he just kind of fell too much in love with Pittman and was going to try to give him the ball come hell or high water. Yeah, I think there's some of that, Joe, and and then I think there there's a reversion. This was a little bit of his problem, and and we have not seen this. We have not seen this until yesterday. In Philadelphia, he tried to make plays that weren't there, and you know, he, in other words, in other words, he's, he's, it's a great quality because you know he wants to he wants to extend and make plays, and sometimes you love it. It's just there's a point in time when you're in a real disadvantage that you can't do it. Well, our last after the further review here, fellas, I want to go to the defensive side of the ball. We, we talked about how good of a job they did against Eric Henry. 68 yards on 28 carries, just 2.4 yards per carry. But the passing defense allowed A.J. Brown to have a season-high 155 receiving yards and that back-breaking 57-yard touchdown in the second quarter that I felt was kind of the turning point of the game. You know, after further review, the Colts' uneven performance on defense, Coach. Yeah, well, there's no question about it. And you got to remember this, particularly in the National Football League, defense is an endeavor in total. It isn't one thing. It was a great thing to stop Derrick Henry. There's no question about that. Hats off to holding Derrick Henry at 2.4. And I thought I told Matt at the end of the game that I thought that that was our most physical front seven game, including the linebackers, and then put Zendejo in there and Kenny Moore. I mean, we packed it in there. Uh, I thought I thought Okereke had the best game of his career. Um, you know, he found himself in that middle. We were downhill on everything. Buckner, Stewart, you know, we did our job. We did that part of the job. But we are clueless on the edge. Understand me, clueless on the edge. Again, Tannehill beat us with zone reads. He got outside on boots. We are clueless on the edge, and we are clueless on pass defense. Now, let me, say, let me go back to Brown now. Let me go back to Brown. The 57-yard pass is a tough one. It's one-on-one. 
You leave him one-on-one out there, which you're going to have to do on first down. On first down, I understand that because you are basically playing the box on Henry. Now, what's inexcusable, again, is Rhodes just missing the tackle and going up there soft and not wrapping him up. I went. I said before the game that Brown had great yak, the best yak in the league, and he showed it right there. But you know what? I can almost live with that. Here's what I can't live with tactically. We gave them two field goals, and people aren't even talking about it, by not playing Brown. In the third, in the fourth quarter, there's a third and 17 situation. Third and 17, they're out of field goal range. We go back into that soft zone. He comes right down and runs a curl for 15 yards. 15 yards, not covered. Number one guy on the team, they kick the field goal. They get in field goal range. In the overtime, because we get the penalty, we still got a shot. And now it's second and 20. Henry's not even in the game, okay? Third down, he's not going to carry it. Second and 20, he's not in the game. McNichols is in the game, so you know it's pass. We go with a five-man rush. We leave Kenny Moore on him one-on-one, and there's no help underneath. So when there's no help underneath, the nickel has to play inside of him on release. Kenny plays outside. He runs right across. I, I told Matt before the play, they're going to run him right over the middle to get in field goal range. He goes down. He runs a 17-yard completion. They're now in, in range to kick a field goal. To me, that's inexcusable. To not dovetail too much on the secondary, you know, I generally watch up front, and we just didn't have a pass rush that we needed to have to win the ball game. Bottom line, if you're just going to run four guys and not blitz – which we didn't do a whole lot of. You got to find a way to have better production from the pass rush because it's tied together. You know, if you have a great pass rush, your secondary doesn't have to be as good. If your secondary is great, gives you a little bit more time um, and some leeway for those guys to get home. So continuing to try to find a pass rush, and if we're just going to rush four guys, it's it's either better individual moves and one on one, or it's got to use scheme them up with some line games. You know, T E E T. You know, Tennessee got a sack on us on a T E earlier in the game, which was a a breakdown on the right side of protection, but that continues to be um, an Achilles heel for this Colts team, the inability to really get a pass rush unless we're, unless we're bringing you know, six or seven guys. Well, there you have it. That was after further review with Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights looking at some pivotal moments from the game on Sunday. We will return with some of your Twitter questions after the break. This is Colts Roundtable Live presented by Citizens Energy Group on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. From the Power Home Solar Radio Studio, here's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. We are back on Colts Roundtable Live, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. And for Matt Taylor, I am Casey Vallier, and I am joined by Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. Guys, it is time to open up the mailbag. We are taking your Twitter questions now. You can send them in by using hashtag Colts Roundtable like Johnny has done. And he asks, how many games can we afford to lose and still make the playoffs? What is our magic number down the stretch with nine games to play? Seven and two, eight and one. I'm going to send this one to Joe. But first, uh, you know, you talk about eight and one. If the Colts finish the season eight and one and don't make the playoffs, I would be absolutely shocked because I think 11 wins definitely gets you in. What say you? 
Uh, agree. If the Colts finish 8-1, and one, they're in. I think that they can get in with 10 wins. I think that the AFC will play out that way. Now, the problem with the AFC is everything is so jumbled. You have, you know, really 12 teams right now that have anywhere from five losses or less. And so, in my opinion, um, the division's done because you know, you're four games back at Tennessee at this point. You know, and that's a really tough uphill battle. But I think there's teams, Miami, Houston, Jacksonville, the Jets, and Denver. I don't think any of those five teams can make the playoffs. I know Denver's four and four, but they got a tough schedule down, and I just think they're not that good of a football team. They'll fade. But so really, you're going to have four division winners, and you're going to have seven other teams compete for those three spots. What I like about the Colts is a lot of those teams are going to beat each other up. I mean, in the North, everybody's alive, Bengals, Browns, Steelers, Ravens, but they all got to play each other and twice, and some of those teams are going to lose some ball games. So how I'm looking at the season now, it'd be different, obviously, if I was a player. I'd be worried about beating the Jets, and the Jets only coming up basically 72 hours from now. But, you know, the Colts are going to beat the Jets and the Jags at home. You're going to be 5-5, five and five, and then it's a seven-game sprint to the finish and in my opinion you got to go five and two over those games you got some tough ones at buffalo tampa at home the raiders at home at the cardinals but bottom line if you're going to get to the playoffs the colts margin for error now is razor thin i believe they'll got to go seven and two to make the playoffs and i think if they get to 10 wins that'll get it done joe do you think that tennessee could nosedive without henry I do, but I think the fact they have the tiebreaker over us, it's really a four-game lead now, not three. Right. And that's why no, – that, no, Right, right. But that, I, that's why it, know, it, it was a gut punch after the game, and then when you hear the news this morning that Henry might be out for the season, minimum eight weeks, it's a double gut punch because I think they can for sure nosedive, but a four-game lead, that, that to me seems insurmountable with, with nine games left. I mean, we talk about identity. That is an identity crisis right now for them. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, you're listening to Colts Roundtable Live. We're answering some Twitter questions. You can tweet at us by using hashtag Colts Roundtable. And next question from Bob kind of goes into the Colts running side of things. I know we have a lot of playmakers on our team, but can't we ride Taylor to grind teams down? I think he can be our version of Emmett Smith. When you talk about Emmett Smith, that's some pretty elite company there. Coach, do you, do you see a little Emmett Smith in Jonathan Taylor? Oh, yeah, but with a lot more speed. You know, Emma Smith was a four, 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 seven, five that played behind a great, one of the greatest offensive line of all time. Take nothing away from Emma Smith. He's in the Hall of Fame. But Jonathan Taylor has more ability by a long shot. You know, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I, I you know, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, but I said it, and it's come back to haunt us. I said the, you know, the only team that the, the only the only people that can stop Jonathan Taylor is the Colts coaching staff. I I use the analogy of Michael Jordan when he played at North Carolina under Dean Smith. You know, that real pattern, slow down basketball. They said the the only people that could keep uh, Jordan under twenty was Dean Smith. And you know, I think there's something to that. Now, I'm also I'm not of the school that believes that he's got to carry the ball 27 times a game and that's how you're going to win. I do believe in diversity over the long haul. You know, we're establishing more of that with guys like Pittman. I do think that you have to take what teams give you. I think one of the problems, I don't know that it was a problem because it almost won the game for us, but we knew that the Tennessee corners are just so bad. You know, they were not, they, they weren't covering us. And then, you know, they, they, they're just a pass interference machine right down to the last play of the regular, uh, you know, the regular uh, 60 minutes I mean they're PI all over the place so there is a tendency to uh, you know to make that happen I, I think what you have to be careful about I think you have to make sure and I think Joe will probably agree with me on this is 
you have to have X amount of what I call fixed runs for Taylor. In other words, runs that are there, they're going to be runs regardless. They're not checking out of them. You might check from one side to the other. Um, you, you know, and in some cases you need to get into some 13 personnel, some 12, you know, uh, you know, I, I'd say 12, like 21. I mean, you got to get into some personnel groupings where you can block the extra guys or get hats on hats because what happens, RPOs are really good in theory. They really are good in theory, but nine times out of 10, when you run an RPO, on first down, the ball is going to be a pass, you know, because teams are playing. I mean, they play eight-man front almost exclusively on first down. And so if you call 10 RPOs in a game, you know, nine of them are going to be runs. They're going to be passes. So, I mean, I think there's something to that. Again, I, I think we have to have a better operation with actual fixed runs where we know that he is going to carry the ball. It, it might be a check with me from right to left, but where it's going to be a run. And then the other thing is, you know, I don't, I just don't see rest them. I can see, I can see inserting Hines every once in a while for a screen for some kind of loose play draw, but I want that guy in the game. I said it all along. We are, we are basically Jonathan Taylor, Pittman and a bunch of guys. You guys can, you know, you can be mascots and you can build up everybody else. But we have two guys that is defensive coordinator that I'm staying up nights worrying about. And so basically those are the guys that should have the ball. Well, and I agree with you, Coach, about, you know, not resting, especially in the fourth quarter OT. That's what I was talking about earlier. That second and six we put Mac in, and, you know, there was a holding penalty. Would it have been different if Taylor was in? I don't know, but I, I would have liked to have seen that happen. You know, bottom line, crunch time, you know, you got to have Taylor in the game. And I agree with you on the design runs because there's a difference in an RPO where if it dictates the coverage, you got to throw it, then you throw the ball. You're talking about, Coach, you mentioned it, check with me runs. You go up to the line of scrimmage, you're in a balance formation. Carson can audible, kill, kill, kill. And if the safety's down on the right side, you run to the left side. But no matter what, you're coming off the ball. And as an offensive lineman, you like that too. I always felt like as an offensive lineman, the more design runs where we were going to knew we were going to run the ball. That just does something to you mentally and emotionally. And as the game goes on and on, the more of those you have in the first, second, third quarter, you just feel better. Emotionally, you're better. Physically, you're tougher. And the defense continues to get more worn down. And then you pop a big one in the fourth quarter and, you know, the ball game's over. And I thought, you know, I, I don't know how you felt about looking at it. I felt like Braden did a really good job for his first game back. I thought that he, you know, and I see, I see our line sometimes just on a, on a dead run just absolutely grind people out of there. I mean, that's why I'd like to continue to do it. And what you're talking about is what Tennessee is all about. They'll, they'll motion, they'll create different sets, but they're checking with me either to that power strong or that open zone. I mean, it's, it's one or the other. So I think we're on the same page on that one. Colts Roundtable Live is brought to you by Meyer, official supercenter of the Indianapolis Colts and proud sponsor of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. We're going to get back to answering more of your questions after the break. This is Colts Roundtable Live, presented by Citizens Energy Group on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You're locked in the Colts Roundtable Live, a look at the latest action with the Indianapolis Colts. For more Colts talk, here's Matt Taylor. Live from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. 
We're back on Colts Roundtable Live, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is brought to you by Everstream, Indy's business-only fiber network. Faster fiber, better business. I'm joined by analyst Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. We're up against it a little bit, but we have time for one last question, as I say, and we go to Joel. And his question is, is it me, or has our defense become more physical against the run lately, especially with Darius Leonard and Bobby Okereke at linebacker? Joe? I thought that Okereke had his best game as a Colt in terms of tackle, and he had 12 tackles, 10 solo. I mean, he was really on it in a good way, bringing it downhill physical, something he wasn't doing earlier in the season. You know, Kenny Moore, nine tackles, seven solo. You know, Sandejo had six solo tackles. Leonard was Leonard. But what I really like is the physicality in the run game. And again, I mentioned those two guys in the secondary, Sandejo and Kenny Moore. But Okereke was really outstanding. I thought Grover Stewart was really good, too. Shout out to him on the nose. But as he continues to ascend, you know, number 58, you pair him with 53. And boy, that can be a really, really good um, linebacker core here for the future. As those guys, I think both are on their way. Obviously, Leonard is. But Okereke, too, to becoming a pillar player within this organization. The Indianapolis Colts like to celebrate blue out week leading up to the primetime matchup against the New York Jets on Thursday night football. Fans attending the game are encouraged to wear blue Colts gear to coat the entire stadium in Colts blue for primetime audience. Joe, I got to talk to you about that short turnaround. What's it like playing on a Sunday and then following up playing a game on a short week this Thursday? All right, Casey, this is going to be a contrarian opinion. Most NFL guys hated the short week, talk about how much their body hurts, et cetera. It's all true. It's really hard to get your body ready to go four days later for a game, but I loved it as a player for two reasons. Here's why. One, everybody's about 60, 70, 75% because you're beat up sore. That favors the offensive line. If the, if the defensive ends aren't running at full 100% speed because they're well-rested, that's good for us. But the reason I really liked it is you got that mini buy on the back end and you just grind through it you do whatever you can to go down get the win but then you got a mini buy to rest and recharge and I think for this Colts team you know that their bye week isn't till December this is much needed for them you get this win you get an unplug for you know 48 hours or so and then you kind of start fresh so that mini buy on the back end that's the carrot that's dangling there to go out and push through any pain soreness fatigue whatever you got Well, that short week comes against the Jets, who just got their second win of the season, beating the Bengals on Sunday. Coach, can you give us some insight on this Jets team that that knocked off one of the hotter teams in the NFL on Sunday? Well, yeah, I can. You know, I I just finished uh, yesterday's game, and I'll be honest with you, I do all the background week at at the end of the last week, and, you know, when I write my summation on Saturday to be adjusted by the game on Sunday, you know, I, I pretty much wrote it off. I mean, I, I pretty much saw this team as really a bottom feeder, as a team that the only threat would be it would be a Thursday night game and we see some crazy things happen in a short week or that the Colts would be exhausted and maybe flat and not ready to go. But I'll be honest with you, they really got my attention yesterday. They they caught the Bengals napping to a degree, but in the end, they really beat the Bengals. They really did a great job and something that's really, really interesting. When they lost to Wilson, you know, who is their hope for the future at quarterback, and they brought in Mike White, who, you know, started at South Florida, ended up at Western Kentucky. Um, You know, they brought him in, and everybody goes, who is Mike White? It was, you know, everybody was laughing. But in the last two weeks, in the last six quarters, listen to this now. He's 57 for 77 with a a 71.4 uh, percentage 
670, uh, 607 yards, 93.2 passer rating. And yesterday against the Bengals, he threw for 405 yards. Yeah. I mean, 405 yards. I mean, and one thing about the kid is he's aggressive. He's quick setting up. He gets rid of it quick. His accuracy is a little bit erratic, but he's not afraid to get after you. Now, he they do a great job. They've got two running backs, um, and most of you from the draft, uh, you know, uh, you know, basically know their running backs. The kid Carter from North Carolina, I think he led the league. He led the NCAA in missed tackles against him. You know, he had 172 total yards yesterday. Williams with him, they have two running backs, and they just feed him the ball in the passing game as much as the running game. I called him check down Charlie, but he was better than that. Uh, you know, they've got a couple solid uh, veteran receivers in Cole and Davis, but they've got two really good young kids that are coming, Elijah Moore and Mims. And then they've got a really good slot in Crowder. He's been a really top slot, number 82 for a while, a couple of decent tight ends in Croft and Griffin, who we know. Um, their offensive line is shaky on the right side. Uh, not really good there. I think you could kill their their right tackle. I think Moses is a total liability. But I mean, they got after it. They played their tails off. Um, you know, we'll get into it more. And their defense came alive. It gave up a lot of yards, but they got some plays. <clears throat> They've got some investment players like Quinnen Wilson, Williams, and Rankins and Shaq Lawson. Zeninga had his first sack. I mean, they really played their tails off and. Uh, ironically, their their wins are against Tennessee and the Bengals. And, uh, again, a team that I wrote off really, really got my attention. I mean, they really played their tails off. So, you know, but I think that's probably a good thing because, you know, Joe alluded to it before, is that you probably had they gone out and had a bad performance Sunday, you know, and us coming off this thing, you know, we may not have – they may not have gotten our attention, but if you watch that tape yesterday – they will get your attention, you know, and at this point, really, there's only a bit of future with us, and that's one week at a time, one game. I mean, we've only won three games. Who the hell do we think we are? We better be ready for Thursday night, and we better play in one-week capsules. I mean, nothing else matters. Absolutely. Well, that game comes around on Thursday night for Thursday Night Football. Tonight's show is also brought to you by Caesars all season long. You can play our predictive game, Pick 6, presented by Caesars Sportsbook. Visit the Colts app each week before kickoff and click on pick six to submit your answers for a chance to win Colts prizes must be 21 to play thank you everyone for joining us for Colts roundtable live we had you know head coach Frank Reich on the opening segment and then Rick and Joe for the last two thank you guys so much and we look forward to seeing you on Thursday hopefully it's a, a better outcome than we had on Sunday Pacer pregame is up next you've been listening to Colts roundtable live we will return next Monday with a recap of the Colts and Jets game this is Colts roundtable live on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan we